0: Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. going on everyone? Today we are joined by Dr. O.K. Enya, Senior Policy Advisor for Alliance for Health Policy and Founder CEO of Enya Strategies LLC, a health policy consulting firm that provides advising, policy analysis, legislative strategy, and many other services for individuals seeking measurable ways to influence policy on issues related to health equity, health disparities, and social determinants of health. Dr. Enya, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me Winston. I look forward to the conversation.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh you know Dr. Anya, I know you you've done a lot. You have quite the story to tell. Um and I kind of just wanted to tee you up telling your superhero origin story by introducing to the audience uh the title of your book. Indisputable: The Story of a Favored Son. You take us through an entire journey, um, from life, the academic journey, professional journey. So, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Why the title of the book, and and what what's your story been so far?
1: Absolutely, man. I, I again, thank you so much for holding space for me to share. Um, you know, I, I've been I've been blessed, and um, I believe that you know, to whom much is a given, much much is required, and I've been very intentional. About being transparent about my story, you know, so um, my story. I start off, you know, kind of talk about my childhood, going to um, high school, college, med school, going to Capitol Hill, and then getting into my doctoral program, which I just finished up, and um, and I'm doing that as a now as a conscious black man, um, and the first son of of uh, six kids of nigerian immigrants Hmm. um and because i grew up um in a family that valued valued hard work and education and um and other values i always have had um an interest in giving back and so I knew that with the obstacles that I've had to overcome to get to this point to actually finally get my hard copy dissertation, which I got last week, Mm -hmm. as well as my diploma from George Washington University, um, this is a testament of a culmination of a background in medicine, Mm. public health, and health policy. Mm. Um, and so I'll share just kind of a snippet of kind of some of the challenges that that I've had to overcome to get to where I am to provide some context. And so, for example, um, I got into college, um, and I was the only black male, um, in my college, I went to a, a, uh, a predominantly white institution. Uh, and I majored in bio and biochemistry, and so, um, you know, I was only black male there. I, I had issues with with my advisor, who told me after the first semester because I think I had gotten some C's and D's in like chemistry and you know physics. He said, you know, he knew that I was that I had an uh, an interest in going into med school, uh, but after that first semester we saw my grades he said you know med school might not be where you kind of want to go uh i was crushed mm-hmm. because yeah. i'm like well this is my first semester i think we all have to start somewhere and okay. and you know i don't like i don't subscribe to what you're telling me and the interesting thing about that experience though is that it, it actually fueled my motivation to prove him wrong but also to to act to make changes that 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 I needed to make to have an upward trend in my GPA from that point forward where i ah. started graduating um with I think a a I so I started off with like a 2.3 GPA mm-hmm. and I finished up my last year of college my average GPA was was a was a 3.9 wow. and I graduated with like a, I think like like a 3.23 overall. And so um, I definitely continued my journey to get into med school, which involved taking the MCATs four times. Um, wow. Yes, over the course of a decade <laughs> and applying to med school four times before getting into med school. Wow. Over the course of a decade. Wow. I was also so post college, I was working full time. I was I was studying for the MCAT. I had a lot of other things going on. And so I was able to get into med school, but then I discovered that my that my vision was 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 bigger than seeing patients as a physician. Mm -hmm. And in fact getting into med school I knew that my that my academic Trajectory was going to evolve multiple degrees. And I didn't know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I end, so I actually ended up leaving med school after two years and going back home to kind of recalibrate and, and get myself together mm-hmm. because I was, you know, um, one of a few black men in my cohort in med school, and there was no support there for black men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was very challenging. But I knew even then that, uh, I was, that I was called into some aspects of medicine, public health and, and health policy and equity and, um, and advocacy and other areas. So I went back home. I said, okay, l- let me get the MPH then. So I got into the MPH program at Chicago State University. In uh in twenty uh twelve. That's
0: a predominantly black institution, correct? Yeah, Chicago State. Okay.
1: A great great point because it was such a remarkable transition from mm. going to school in a at a PWI compared to a a a a, a uh an MSI, mm-hmm. you know, a minority serving institution. Where there were black faculty, black students, brown mm. faculty, brown students, it was it was a complete one hundred and eighty degree turnaround. I mean, I, yeah. I felt nurtured and encouraged. It was so gratifying to see faculty that looked like me, and that and, and that really helped me finish my MPA quicker. Mm. You know, I, I think the average the 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 program was I think two years. I think I finished in like a year and a half. Um, and then even there, I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I still had some interest in going back to med school, but that door was closed. Like I, I, like my, like, I felt like, like the universe was saying, okay, like that, that part of your life was done, but I have something greater for you. So, so, so keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. So, um, after my MPH, I applied to some doctoral programs, as well as some fellowship programs, to see you know kind of where I might land next. Um, I I I ended up taking the GRE four times from 2013 to 2018. Wow! I had to apply to the doctoral programs I think uh, three times before finally getting into GW here here wow. in DC. And what made the difference was that um, I had moved from Chicago to Mm -hmm. D.C. in 2014 um, to work on Capitol Hill and also to just kind of figure out, okay, well, what else was next? Um, And so I was very intentional about meeting with faculty at GW Mm -hmm. as I was applying, which helped me overcome the uh the average scores that I got on on the GRE. Now mm-hmm. I'll also say that um the the assessment tools that are that are used, the mm-hmm. GRE, LSAT, MCAT, I argue, and the and the data supports this, I would argue, is that they are tools used as gatekeepers as absolutely to um one really being able to get into systems and institutions frankly that weren't built with black and brown brilliance Mm -hmm. in mind right and so i had to pad up other aspects of, of my application to ensure that okay while he's average here he has stellar letters a recommendation he has a solid GPA he's met with faculty he's clear about uh the the research that he wants to do um and so that th- those factors helped me to actually get into the one program that I got into mm-hmm. was GW I applied to Hopkins and VCU and College mm-hmm. Park and you know like but that was the only one that I got into so and the story of my life has been that while or if I apply to, to to certain things, that all of them will will like close except one, hmm. and that was the case with like a fellowship that was the case with jobs and that was the case with my doctoral program. Wow. So fast forward, here I am, and I'm happy to to kind of talk about my experiences in, in my doctoral program, which um, I think are important to share because um, many black and brown students have experienced similar obstacles and challenges in terms of finishing their degree. So, Mm. um, so I'll pause there, but, but I definitely want to kind of hold space, you know, for kind of going deeper into my experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, number one, thank you so much, uh, for sharing that. I think this is definitely the most compelling story we have had, um, on the podcast because, you know, there's resiliency, there's determination, Their self-belief. Like you said, one of the things that I feel like really stuck out to me is the hard work um, as well and your ability to just keep going. And I think, you know, it speaks to the beauty that not everyone has a linear path. And it doesn't always have to be so linear. And I think your passion also clearly is exemplified, I think, in your career path because you worked at the same time and really was able to get, you know, experience. It's not like you you took a break. So I think a lot of people just hearing that is amazing. And I also would have to to call out and I think we'll segue in. I'll use this to segue into talking more about your doctoral experience Mm -hmm. is you know, I think amongst everyone that is pursuing these type of careers, high achieving, you know, um, sophisticated degrees, you know, medical degrees, going into healthcare, it's a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. And I think particularly from a cultural standpoint, as you said, you know, Nigerian immigrants, I can only imagine <laughs> the the values that your parents instilled in you as a young boy who was gonna grow up in the Nigerian household, but as a black boy and black man in America, in a city like mm-hmm. Chicago, you know, there was a lot of things that you were going to have to balance. So I would love for you to just slightly touch on just how your upbringing kind of has allowed you to continue to exist in these spaces and speak on some of the things that I'm sure you also experienced as a part of your doctoral program uh, right. under this identity.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I have I've grown to a place where I have about eight to nine core values and those mm. include um, accountability, integrity excellence, transparency um, um um transparency, humility um and a few others uh, um having agency and so those are all um, values that you know I didn't know were instilled in me at a very mm-hmm. young age but and it wasn't until I had Matured and um continue to surround myself with mentors and advisors to kind of pull out and identify um those traits uh to help me stay grounded and and focused mm-hmm. on you know the goal and so yes um I was blessed to have um, parents and family um to help shape me. Uh, into someone that was open to change, mm. being flexible and adapting to what life was bringing, mm. um, and it's those traits that had that uh, that were brought to bear in my doctoral program. You know, in fact, what I found is that um, like your character, it, it, it's your it, it's your core character that really helps to keep you rooted and grounded in how to navigate different spaces um, where you'll find yourself isolated or ostracized or rejected mm. or betrayed, which are all experiences that I've had over the years, but, but, but definitely in my doctoral program where mm-hmm. I was one of two black men in my cohort of, of about 30 students. Wow. And, and there were three black women. And so I had to work through uh, one having my competence questioned, having mm. my character questioned by faculty and staff and students, having my field of uh, field of um, of interest and in, um, and scholarship questioned because I was very unapologetic about helping black men and mm. studying black men and the ways in which we are assets and we are um, strong despite the barriers, like the system at a PWI just, it, it, it doesn't comport with that, that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, And fortunately I had enough mentorship Um, before I started my program to help me better understand how I needed to move in this space. And, 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 and i, and I also call, um, you know, call out the fact that it's critically important as conscious black men Mm -hmm. to invest in self-care measures that can help you not just survive but thrive hostile toxic environments. Mm. And so for example, I was advised and this is and, and this is because of my experience in med school, I was advised that if and when you pursue your doctorate get a therapist wow and so i did that in the fall of 2018 i got a black my psychologist uh and i and i would see him regularly and as my self-care regimen evolved it evolved into yoga and mm. and, and uh and breath work and journaling and yes you know just um um chiropractor acupuncture i mean just A a whole uh, breadth and depth of ways in which uh, I could, you know, take care of myself while going through this program, and then getting married, and then having a son uh, Mm. who is now four months old, right? (laughs) And so, um, and then, you know, I can't, you know, I'll be remiss if I didn't call out my fraternity brothers Mm -hmm. um, of Alpha Phi Alpha, who since college days. have been uh, I literally wouldn't be where I am today without the the support of my fraternity brothers. Mm. Um, And again, that gets back to my interest and passion in giving back and serving as, as an example, as, 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 as an exemplar, as a template, as a paradigm of how to thrive and be comfortable and confident in, who and whose you are as a conscious black man in any space and context. And so what's interesting as well is that during my program um, at GW, uh, uh, the the transition from a doctoral student to a doctoral candidate involved taking a comprehensive, a, a, uh, a comprehensive <sighs> exam. Okay. okay. I uh, I failed my health policy comprehensive exam twice.
0: Wow.
1: Um, and the and the university policy was that if a student fails the exam twice, that 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 may be grounds for dismissal from the program. Hmm. So you can imagine, like I was just I, I was like, look, look, I've already left med school, like because, you know, because <laughs> trying to keep me right. out there. I'm not leaving here. So we got to figure <laughs> out. Like, let's Let's let let us figure this out. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my chair, and we, you know, and uh, and uh, and so as as my chair and I walk through, you know, the exam, and my chair is a is is an older white man. Mm-hmm. He tells me literally that I am too smart for the test.
0: Hmm.
1: Wow, I'm like like that doesn't make. Like on a surface doesn't make any. Like I'm too smart for the test. What do you mean? Um, and I got it because my argument as well is that the master's tools are inferior.
0: Mm. The <laughs>
1: exams, the tests. Yes. That I used to assess. Yes. People are inferior, and definitely mm. for black and brown people, like because those those inferior assessment tools. GRE, mm-hmm. LSAT, SAT, yes, MCAT. Absolutely. What? Um, I would argue are inferior assessment tool. And so what happened was that, I'm um, and so when he told me after, like, so he said, yeah, I mean, you like, he said because of your lived experience and your background, like, you, you, you have so much that it's not even like it just can't it doesn't fit the context of these questions like mm. you. And I'm like, that's so, that's so, it's so weird, but I get it though, because yeah. it was, the test wasn't, you know, designed for a certain way of thinking or for someone who, to have a certain background. And so, so, um, what happened was that the grading committee, they said, you know, because they were puzzled, they said, mm-hmm. okay, well, I mean, we, you know, He's, you know, he's failed it twice, and and the says, you know, I mean, we got to kick him out. Hmm. Now, what happened was that during that time, I had been, um, I had gotten so far along with with my dissertation that they couldn't not pass me. I got you. So and so they and, and so they 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 and, and so they ended up, you know, passing me and letting me move forward. And so it's just again you know so wow. that and so now you know and what's also interesting is, is that my colleague you know i didn't have a good experience with, with my, my 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 cohort it, it was very mm-hmm. isolating mm-hmm. yes and they and, and they tried you know this that and the other to try to get me off my square but i was able to get the support externally from the, from the program to be able to finish and and despite all of what they were doing and you know i i i i I have the degree in hand, you know, yes, I have yes, the station. this is the evidence. This is the bonafide <laughs> indisputable favor in yes. what through the program that, and that, and, and that's, and, and, and that has been to your question mm-hmm. has been the reason why I titled my book indisputable. The story mm. the, the story of a favorite son, because my lived experience has been that it's not so much that it'll take my network or or my or my background or my qualifications or or my credentials. It is going to take as a as a, a Christian and as a man of faith the favor of God mm. to get you through. And uh, whether it's a program or a job, and so that has been a story of my life, which is why I titled my my book, That, to demonstrate that um, it takes support, it takes core values, um, it takes character to be able to live your life fully and to trust the process enough to get you to where you feel that you want to go. So. I'll pause there.
0: Nah, that's he could have kept going. That's uh, that listen, um, wow, talk about just bringing it all together. I think that you touched on some experiences that, fortunately, you know, I've been an HBCU uh, grad my whole collegiate career for my undergrad yeah. and my MPH. So I didn't, I haven't personally experienced some of those things, but my wife just finished her her PhD and definitely. Mm when it comes to the toxicity of the cohort, that is something that I witnessed firsthand. And it was shocking to me because I was like, wow, you know, you would think in these elite institutions and these prestigious institutions, they would have people who treat other people like human beings. (laughs) But this is just, it's like, this is just as vicious and as racist as anything that we see out in the real world. This is really where it's happening. And so I can only imagine there's a powerful statement that, I could have used when I was doing my fellowship after I left Morehouse School of Medicine um, and and got into one of these big organizations, which is, you know, being a conscious black man. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, just even hearing you, there was power, power in hearing you even just stating that, because Mm -hmm. for me, I was so stuck on man I'm young I'm in a post racial world like I can I can be a little bit more covert with my intentions right. here like I can make everybody feel that I'm on my side and it wasn't until I got into healthcare I got on the front line with you know clinicians with the administrators and I saw oh no I have to be myself unapologetically in this space mm-hmm. because the problems are so severe they're so stark and they're so normalized mm-hmm. at this point if we get these opportunities i think there's a i think you have a quote about just being at the table but mm-hmm. if we get these opportunities to be there like we got to use our voice we Absolutely. have to we we can't try to assimilate and conform uh-huh. because right. you really you know we will we'll be looking at the results like oh man what what can i do about this so right. With this being said, you've done an amazing job um being very vivid with your story. I want to kind of pivot mm-hmm. into your research, and your work. Let's get a little yeah. granular here. Um, so the title of your thesis, when you first shared it with me, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I have never even thought, I'm not even thinking like this. So it goes to show just how important it is to have the Dr. Inyas in the position where we can have the first african american president make mm-hmm. something as major as the patient protection affordable care act and now we have a policy expert actually studying okay Well, what has this done for the brothers? So the title of your thesis is the impact of the Affordable Care Act on access to care for black men and white men implications for policy and practice Mm -hmm. sounds amazing. Can you just do, you know, just go with, you know, how this started. um, What were some of your findings and what inspired you to really uh, pursue this research. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, yes. my study was literally the first of its kind to examine the Affordable Care Act and its impact on access to care for Black men. And, and one of the reasons why it was the first of its kind was because in the literature, well, one, like Black men are either hyper-visible in the, in the criminal justice system and or invisible in public health health
0: policy. Wow. Okay. Very true. Yes.
1: And so unless and until there is some intentionality around supporting black men um, in terms of their health, well-being, and access to care, we're going to continue to have the significant gaps that I found in my literature mm. in which I look forward to filling as my, my kind of my career Grows and evolves, um, and so now I found that. So while the ACA um, it did achieve one of its goals of expanding health insurance coverage to millions of Americans, what it did what it did not do, or what where it fell short, because the assumption was that if you are able to expand coverage people that naturally that would increase people getting access to care my study blew that out of the water that said no so while for men my study found that close to 50% of men who were uninsured were actually not able to get insured because of the ACA which is great or better. However, when it comes to men, and black men in particular, actually having someone to go to for their health care, mm. a doctor, a, a dentist, a nurse, EA, ah. right. um, that was not approved at all. In fact, from 2011 to 2019, which was my my uh my my testing parameters the proportions of men and black men, particular who didn't have someone to go to actually increased
0: wow hmm.
1: and so i was i was puzzled I'm like well like i like on the surface it makes sense that well like in my mind as well as as what was found in the literature is if you if you increase insurance coverage that that'll make it easier for people to go see someone to to get access to care right that was that didn't that didn't comport with my with my national data set mm. that um where i use key variables um to examine um the aca and so um so we have a lot of work to do because, um, and in terms of my policy and practice recommendations, uh, one of the, the recommendations that I, um, propose is, and I found was that, you know, we have a strong infrastructure in place in terms of trying to meet people where they are, you know, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. barbershop that that's at the you know, church, you know, yes, wherever, right but there had, but but there has not been a sustained intentional investment efforts in supporting interventions in the communities um that have historically been disenfranchised uh to uh help 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 to facilitate greater access to care there is um not enough good messaging -hmm. About why it's important to go uh find a position. Um it there's there are not enough culturally humble healthcare providers Mm. um who are available um to be seen by by patients and definitely not black and brown patients. Um so but you have at the national level. Um about five five to six percent of of doctors are black. And then for black male doctors, only three percent of, around the country
0: mm-hmm.
1: of doctors are black. So um now, I'll also say that I I have coined, I have created and coined what I'm framing as, and and this is because of my background in Congress as a policymaker, I'm Mm -hmm. framing what's called a policy advocacy and action framework for black men, whereby uh, people who have a vested interest in helping to support the health and well-being of black men, there is an approach, a step-by-step process by which you can connect with staffers on Capitol Hill Mm-hmm. or at the state level um, to make the case or to advocate for the need to support the health and well-being of not of of men yes but definitely black men so mm-hmm. um so I'm I have so I now have access actually to the NIH um, um all of us program okay excellent awesome to help me uh further operationalize my my research questions that I am thinking through right now, mm-hmm. so that um you know we can make sure that we have a seat at the table. Because as I say all the time, if you're not at the decision-making table, you are on the menu. Mm. And as a staffer on Capitol Hill, where I have been again one of a few in the room where, when, when we haven't been, been, you know, drafting policy,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: had I not been in the room uh, to either call things out or to say, hey, time out, or let's, let's ask a a different question, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: outcomes or the the language or, or uh, or the narrative in the bill would have been weaker or Mm -hmm. not nuanced enough to help, black and brown people. So, you know, I have a lot of ideas and a lot of ways in which I'm trying to mm-hmm. get at what
0: I'm the, the impact that I'm trying to have. But um yeah. Uh fascinating. Very, very fascinating research. Um, you know, as somebody that sits in a health administration space at this point, um, it's always fascinating for me to kind of go into a policy uh a rabbit hole um because you know on our side, when you say ACA, most people start talking about value-based care, start talking about population health outcomes. This is how we managed to do it as a healthcare system. It's great. It's nice. And we, on this, on this uh, platform, we've had a lot of physicians who kind of share their perspective on what's working, what's not really working and what we really need. And I just hearing you kind of speak about that particular time range cuz that's a good uh 10 years to really be able to evaluate okay like what's happening um without the other domino effects to fall yeah it just it just kind of yeah okay great people have coverage now right. but to your point i'm thinking like yeah well what you know when we are expanding coverage at the same time, is that necessarily incentivizing hospitals and health systems to all of a sudden start, you know, creating more services and zip codes where these folks are going to be targeted? Is that incentivizing people really getting into, you know, healthcare and producing more physicians? So it's so interesting on how, much more integrated. We need to be just from a decision-making standpoint in all of the different parts of the machine um, that is healthcare. And I think you also spoke to something that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about, is your experience as a staffer, (laughs) you know, On the Hill. It has been, you know, for me, I would say that George Bush was the, George W. Bush was the first president that I remember, like knowing, okay, that's the president. But I was an Obama kid. I always tell kids that are younger than me, I had the privilege of growing up and literally being conscious during Obama. So my expectations, my just perspective of America was significantly shaped Mm -hmm. by all of the policy that I was seeing being pushed, DACA, you know, um, the 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 advances and, you know, gay marriage and the things that he's done. So for you, being this conscious, emerging Black man, having, you know, this inspiration, having your grit, having all of your experience, what was that like, that experience like being a staffer? Because I can imagine that was eye-opening.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I am a policy wonk. I love all things Congress. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, being on Capitol Hill... I was i I found that I was always in my element, like I loved the being close to the power, I love the brilliance staffers you know that were there you know I, you know I'm always gonna be a hill staffer so you know I have colleagues that i've you know that I've you know um um have met and I have cultural and and I've built relationships with you know for the past decade, and so um Because of my experience, again, kind of being um, a health staffer on the Hill and being in a room when things happen, um, having the opportunity to draft legislation that has been now enacted into law um, is such a special privilege. And again, it's for me, it's the it's the favor. Um, it's not so much like my credentials or anything, but it's it's actually what is the purpose? Like why am I given the privilege and the blessing of literally sitting in a room across the most powerful people on the planet? Um, and so, it, but it is to accomplish what is now being done. Um, the fact that I have this credential which will get me into more rooms And because of my lived experience, um, I now can have a greater impact in any space and context as a conscious black man. Um, And so, um, yeah, you know, I love all things Congress. Um, I was blessed to work on a Senate committee that was bipartisan in nature where people actually enjoyed working together to get things done, um, a lot of receptions, a, a lot of happy hours, a lot of fun. But we, but we also worked very hard. You know, a lot of long hours. Um, I would, you know, I would meet with with voters and constituents and CEOs. I mean, it just kind of spanned the gamut. Like folks that I would meet with, where they would share their story, and I will take notes, and I will take it to my colleagues in office, you know, uh, and discuss ways in which, um, you know, we could help this person or these uh, voters or this audience. Um, So it it was, you know, on on any given day was, you know, it was different. Um, You know, I, part of it looked like, you know, meeting with constituents, um, helping to, to organize hearings or briefings, and so, for example, you know, I don't know if you kind of watch um, 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 C-SPAN, but typically, so if, so I would be the guy who would be sitting behind the senators as the hearings were taken, right, so so I'm that guy who would staff the boss and help the boss answer questions because I did the research to help that boss and you know, answer questions and and I would be that person. And so I enjoy, you know, I really enjoy being, you know, in that setting, I, you know, and again, being, you know, typically, you know, like the, 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 the few, you know, black staffers, um, it was such a privilege. And, um, I, I think I'll also say that because of my experience, I found my voice, in terms of the focus that I want to have post my time on Capitol Hill. And so now that I am where I am today, um, I am better able and equipped to advocate for and on behalf of black and brown people or those who don't have a voice.
0: That is excellent. That is, um, thank you so much for sharing that experience as well. My mind is actually going in a lot of different places. I think that, um, you know, just who you have been, uh, and how you have been able to just continue to like embrace every single environment really, to me, is good advice to have. I almost kind of wish I could have watched your professional journey like a TV show when I was getting my MPH. No, I really, I'm thinking here like, man, I wish this was, like, like this was documented so I could have saw this because I think that, you know, I know some, I have plenty of my colleagues, plenty of other brothers that are interested in health policy or health administration or management, but we don't see ourselves there. You don't see yourselves in these spaces. Even when you get the internship, Um, you know, you don't, Just, you don't see it. And so I think. I'm definitely going to be intentional about just who I send this particular episode to because I feel like it's just great. It's amazing really to hear your story. It's very encouraging and it's also inspiring, right? And I really, I really genuinely feel like even though I'm on my path, I'm like, man, he's, he's making me feel like I could do anything. Like he's really like, I like, he's just, you know, has, has, has been so, so centered and so focused. And I think that's the thing that I'm just, I'm really impressed by, um, I want to ask you, you know, speaking of your focus, Mm -hmm. uh, this year is an election year. Uh, (laughs) Every other day it hits me in the face (laughs) that that, this is this is a big year. I mean, we're just continuing to see how we evolve, how we do politics, how we talk about things. So actually, I would actually just want to know from your lens, from your expertise, what is on the rise? What is kind of piquing your interest? What are you paying attention to as we lean and move towards November?
1: Yes, great question and b- very timely. So, I read an article this morning that talked about um, what voters are interested in seeing uh, as the candidates on the campaign, on the camp- on the campaign trail um, are moving, and in the context of health care and um, and coverage. Unsurprisingly. Um, because of how the ACA evolved politically, uh, those who lean left, um, they, so, so kind of um, um, in general, um, voters do want to see candidates be very intentional about talking about health, health care, surprise medical bills, medical debt, um you know other facets of what's happening now where that diverges is is political right it is party so those who those who lean left when asked you know um if the ACA has been helpful you know they tend to say yes or there's the there is there there are more people that lean left that, that say yes that the ACA was helpful those who lean right or are Republican say no, right? And I mean that's that's that is to be expected given how the ACA was politicized and, 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 and that whole process so we get that. Um, i will I will pivot my answer to your question by saying that we also know in the context of having a a healthy a healthy democracy. That there is a direct link between your level of civic engagements and health outcomes, meaning that if you are a well-educated voter, um, you are one one more likely to vote, and two, you are you 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 are, you are more likely to uh, live better. Um, And and so we have to get to a place where those who are leaders in the advocacy space, for example, we have to continually beat back voter apathy and Mm -hmm. make every effort to connect the dots for the general public and why it is critically important to votes up and down the ballot mm-hmm. local state federal judges mayors school board um and so i also will say that uh, one one difference that i think is of note is the extent to which families or families or 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 you know communities talk about policy and politics and just in general. I know and we know that it can be divisive, but I believe in creating a culture of talking about policy um, or just kind of, in fact, I'll say, talking about civic engagement um, and the political process in ways that attune the general public to getting involved um so that they do go vote now another part of this too is who who is voted into office and right. and how do we how do people get the people that they want into office um
0: mm-hmm. who
1: have who align with you know values and 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 interests i'm not saying that you have to a- agree with all of the things that someone you know talks about what wants to do but it's about finding ways to get engaged um to ensure that we have a ultimately a check and balance a healthy democracy where we all are thriving so yeah
0: i love that you made some very important distinctions number one i think uh It's very nice to hear, uh, you know, kind of you end on that note because uh, ever since I'm working, ever since I started actually my job in healthcare, I have definitely become much more politically aware. And I was always like, you know, uh, I think I was born in 95. So I I would say as, as a young millennial, I was one of the hothead, you know, like revolutionaries, let's burn it down kind of people. So I was aware, but I never was really tracking at a local state or national level. Okay. What 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 policies is this you know is this leader is this representative really pushing forward really what special interest groups really back this person so I can know uh, some of the secondhand things that I may be voting for and I love though how you phrase it for it's less about the voting it's less about even policy let's call it civic engagement. Mm -hmm. Let's call it just like getting involved with the community and being able to learn how you can make some things better for your community. Because I do think while just as a culture, we are dealing with a lot of different things, um, as we always are, every decade we are, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there is a growing awareness. I see more people online, you know, starting to have good conversations about what we're really actually voting for at the ballot box. Um, I would, I would, I would, you know, even want to branch further, but I'm not going to on this on this thing that's happening on the left right now. Um, actually, I guess I am going to because I mentioned it to you. But you know, and this we could kind of also end because I know we're coming up on an hour here. But um, I have my understanding of before I even call it the left, just the Democratic Party. Um again, I was born in '95. My parents, you know, one of my dad was came up during Jim Crow. My mom came up during the hippie movement. Um, mm-hmm. so they were pretty, you know, I would say, you know, socially liberal, a little bit more officially conservative because they were mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, but always just imp- I always assumed we were democratic. I always assumed that's how we went. That's how we, you know, this is how we voted. And then of course, the typical narrative that's projected to you as a as a young person in America is like, hey, these guys are for you know what's right and that 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 narrative was not challenged until 2016 uh, because Bernie Sanders was the first candidate is. as a presidential candidate that I was like oh no this right. guy <laughs> is what I'm about Y'all, oh, uh-huh. you other know guys right. I don't know what y'all have been talking about uh-huh. he is talking about what how <laughs> I really think the country should go and I just believe that the party has not done a good job trying to mend that fragmentation ever since and i get nervous cuz i'm like man on the other side these guys are falling in line and it's everybody got the yep. script and it's mm-hmm. very very clear to their constituents Correct. how they're rocking but with <laughs> us <laughs> how do we get to a point yes. where there's more harmony that's cuz yep. right now that's what i see
1: yes and that's and, and that is a a and an accurate assessment. And I love that you brought that up because, and I'll say this kind of, kind of on time, but um, it is, it is critically important to... So, you know, I'm not a big fan of the two-party system. You know, let me just kind of lead with that. Um yes. but, but 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 it's in place currently, right? I mean I'm about to work kind of work through it. Um I am someone who while I tend to lean left, I'm I'm also conservative in some aspects. Um and I can, frankly, you know, I'm I'm also kind of independent on some things. And so but I also enjoy getting people into office in terms of whether that is fundraising or to help to kind of Um, help manage their campaigns, and so. But yes, um, people like uh, Bernie Sanders. I love the fact that he is unafraid to call things out and to hold people accountable in ways that um bring a different perspective to the conversation, um, and so. You know, while you know we have apparently a two party system um I do believe as a what what as kind of what I'm framing myself to be as a tempered radical, meaning hmm. I can work in the system, okay but I work outside of the system so so I, I understand how to move in both systems, and as I, I and I think that I noted earlier, part of it for me is. Um, I can either disrupt, dismantle, and or transform systems. Um, and I've had to learn how to do that over the course of my career. And so while the system that is in place with the two parties is, is there, um, I do believe in getting into the system to effect change, but also holding people accountable in ways that help to kind of disrupt things in ways that bring about change. Um, and so, uh, um, so yes, you know, I I am someone that I think I've learned how to, you know, kind of navigate uh, 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 kind of across the span of the left and the right to understand where people are coming from. Um, but unless and until we, there was enough, uh, of a movement to create uh, a viable or a credible third party system or some other ways to, then we are going to have what we have and we have to learn how to work within and without the system, I I think is the big takeaway. It's like, while on one hand, yes, um, there there are certain policies and approaches that resonate with your own kind of wiring it's also important to to keep in mind that we do have a system that is in place, but how do we disrupt it in ways that um, agitate the status quo enough to make some some type of positive change, you know, writ large? So, yeah.
0: Wow, I really I love that with and without this system and tempered radical may be a term that I have to have to start yeah. using because I I always encourage you know my peers um you know i'm like hey you know we got to be in these spaces and we have to at least try to do something you know Absolutely. because i think there's it's easy to get to your point when you're in these spaces when you have these opportunities there is like a, a, a general, more, you know, conformed mission. You know, for me, it's the business and focusing on healthcare as a business and all that. But, you know, you have to use the opportunity to actually change. And I think it's OK to have your lens and try to do the work through the political lens that, you know, because that's one of the things that I think I experience more now in the workplace is just like, wow. My, my outlook and my ideology actually very much so influences how I feel I should do this, how we should do this work. So yeah. much to, so that I have to learn how to work with and bring in other ideals and other values. Otherwise, nothing will get done. And right. I'm also, I'm encouraged by individuals like yourself who are even comfortable in saying like Eileen left, but hey, I'm conservative on certain issues because I think for a long time, just the the inclusivity and the mm-hmm. diversity of, Mm. of, of within actual parties was not something that was known about. And I feel like as people become more aware, we're seeing that even though it's two party, Mm. it's a whole lot of different kinds of people that are flying under these names. Right. Yes. Um, And so it's. Yeah.
1: And I'll say that, um, you know, to point earlier, Dems tend to be very wonky and, you know, we are labeled as, as, as elitist, and you know, all of those right. things, we're not. Dems tend to have to be very challenged with messaging and kind of coalescing around someone despite their personal angst with that person. Right. People who lean uh, right, they are brilliant at messaging, just giving simple messages, staying on message, let's coalesce around this person mm-hmm. because we've been. You know, because we want to maintain the system that's in place right. that has kept kept people like us in power. At, and so yeah, so I so that's a very valid um observation that you made where those who being left, it's been challenging to actually like it's fine to, to take a deep dive into policy and that's like like I get it but you're also trying to reach people where they are and what messaging or narrative resonates with their emotions. And like, you know what I'm saying? So, and and that's more, that's easier. Those on the right can do that, tune into that easier as opposed to those who lean left. And I've long argued, look, man, we got to, like, we got to, those who lean left, like, like we've got to do better. So
0: Mm, yeah. The Messaging since uh, well, particularly 2020 is very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Uh, I, I'm always like, Who is making these decisions? But, um, I, I appreciate you, um, Dr. Anya. I will go ahead and wrap us up. This has been an amazing hour, um, one of our longer episodes, but every second was worth it, um, absolutely. Um, so you know, I appreciate you. I know the team listening back they missed out on an excellent conversation, so they'll uh, appreciate you for joining on. Um, in closing. Is there anywhere on uh, the net that, you know, people can find you, connect with you, a preferred social media platform for people to reach out um, for our listeners?
1: Absolutely. So you can find me um, on LinkedIn as as my first and last name. Um, you can find me on IG as Enya Strategies. That's E-N-Y-I-A Strategies. You can find me on uh, TikTok as the, the, the same Enya Strategies. My website is in your strategies, um, so you should you, you probably will be able to Google my name, and you know you'll find all of my socials um, there. I'm also on YouTube as my first and last name, so um, and also Facebook, of course, you um, with my first my uh first and last name. So happy to be helpful. Um, my book is out there, so feel free to reach out. You know, it's on Amazon and Kindle. So, um, but I look forward to talking more with you. I thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story and um and,
0: and I look forward to what's ahead. Well, that's it for the episode and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.